It's always best in the long run to stand faithful to Jesus Christ. And the old devil says, be quiet, sit down, shut up. Don't let your light shine. Others will mock you. You will lose opportunities at work. People will despise you. Relatives will turn and walk from you. But in the long run, you'll always do better. Always. Taking your stand for Jesus. Would you open your Bible tonight, please, to the Gospel of Luke. And chapter number 2. Luke chapter 2. Here we have the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a very interesting man here named Simeon. And Simeon was at the temple. As we understand it here, he was an old man. And the Lord had told him that he wasn't going to die until he saw the consolation of Israel, which is a way of talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary had just given birth. The Lord Jesus was something like eight days old, somewhere in that uh, time period. And um, I'm sorry, he would have been a little bit older than that, come to think of it, because verse 22 uh, makes reference of the days of her purification according to the laws of Moses. And if memory serves me, cracked out of Leviticus uh, 12, I think, it was something like 40 days. Be as it may. He's still a baby. And she and Joseph bring the Lord Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. You can see that at the end of verse 22. And so while they're there, they're making their sacrifice to God of a couple of uh, young pigeons. And in verse 25, we see that there's this man named Simeon. And so he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And verse 26, it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so... We understand that he was an old man at this point. Um, Tonight I would like to take a look at the words of Simeon concerning the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, today being Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate his glorious resurrection on the third day after his death. Uh, Tonight is a communion service. And so we're going to revisit his death. That's what we do at the communion service. I'd like to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, help us tonight to increase our faith, to be able to see our Savior once again. The great cost he paid for us. There was ramifications all around And certainly with with Mary. And so help us to visit this with reverence. And please speak with our hearts tonight. Prepare us for your table. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, the life and death of Jesus Christ are briefly laid out. 
before the um, eyes and ears of Joseph and Mary. And in verse 33, you'll notice here, it says Joseph and Joseph and his, uh, and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Joseph was the husband of Mary. His, that's Jesus, mother, that's Mary. So Joseph and Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him, of Jesus. Simeon was prophesying. And so they both marveled at these things spoken by Simeon. The things that made them marvel, I believe, was that he should be two things. Number one, a light to lighten the Gentiles, as we will see, as well as the glory of thy people. And if you look back the verse before, you have it. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And so here were two things that according to the next verse uh, helped to make both Joseph and Mary stand back in awe. They marveled over this. Now, God's goodness to the Gentiles was somewhat of a mystery long hidden from the Jewish nation. But we, who are non-Jewish, we are Gentile, we have experienced it and we found Christ to be the light the, to lighten our darkness. Simeon then addressed Mary in particular. Look at verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother. Now this is very important what he's about to say. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And so Simeon addresses Mary in particular. Why wouldn't he include Joseph? Because Joseph is nowhere to be found by the time Jesus enters his public ministry. And it's commonly thought that he'd passed away by that time. That's why the words of Simeon were now directed specifically to Mary, not to Mary and Joseph. Does that make sense? Um, Simeon, I think, was trying to help prepare her. Well, God was through Simeon. These words would help prepare her for all of the shame and the sorrow that her son Jesus should undergo. For what he had said before might have led her to think of only the joy, you know, the, the light the, the, to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people. And if that's all he said, like that's good news. And that would have made her and Joseph uh, happy, I'm sure. But these words here now give the other side of the coin. Oftentimes in life, we are given both joys and sorrows. And keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that idea, that concept. Throughout our lives, we often have these things kind of on one hand and the other hand. They sort of balance each other out. No one seems to live a long life with just all joy or all sorrow. God in his wisdom and mercy and grace, he blends these things together. And he does it for several reasons, including our maturity and 
our education to put our trust in Him. And folks, we need Him every day. We can't get through a day, let alone a week, a month, (laughs) without Him. We need the Lord. We need to depend on Him. So here we have Simeon preparing uh, Mary here uh, for what was ultimately to come. Otherwise, she might have thought that there was just joy and nothing more. Um, But this was not the case. And uh, so great would be the agonies of the Son, the Lord Jesus, that watch what he says here in verse 35. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. Those are pretty heavy words, don't you think? If you knew that you were going to experience some trouble tomorrow, and God somehow revealed to you that the trouble you were going to go through tomorrow or this coming week would be so great that it would feel like a sword piercing through your own soul, (laughs) you might say, well, let me off right here, Lord. Take me to heaven right now. I don't think I want to go through this week. Well, we can't always do that, can we? And so... Simeon was preparing her. Now, it was going to be 33 years in the future, but Mary was a very smart woman, and she pondered these things in her heart, and she never forgot these things. And so this piercing of the sword actually happened when Mary had to stand there and behold her firstborn, Jesus, nailed to a cross. Simeon's words concerning the Christ child at this point demands careful consideration. So look at verse 34 now. He says, uh, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. So how was it that Jesus, how is it that Jesus was the fall of many in Israel? Did Christ make men fall? Simeon compares Christ to a a stone, a stumbling block here in uh, in this verse when he says that many shall fall. So he's comparing Jesus Christ to a stone over which many people would stumble and fall. The Apostle Paul years later said in 1 Corinthians 1 that Christ was to the Jews a stumbling block or something over which they would fall. How is it, how was it, that they fell over the Lord Jesus? And I suggest to you, it was basically through their pride. They would not believe that their own righteousness was worthless in God's sight. That's how Paul went on to describe it. And he says in Romans chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. The Jews of Jesus' day, very much like righteous people today, they're righteous in their own eyes, and they think, hey, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a lusty person, I'm not a greedy horrible person, I'm a good person, and I think that God sees that, and God would agree with me that I'm, I'm not such a bad guy. 
The average person, I think, if you were to walk up to them and ask them, are you a good person? I think the average response you would get is, yeah, I think I'm a good person. Well, do you think that God thinks you're a good person? Yeah, I think that God thinks I'm a good person. And what this is, is a form of self-righteousness. And we have not submitted ourselves to the righteousness of God, which is absolute perfection. Never, ever, 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 ever. The teeniest of sins. Well, we've fallen short, haven't we? Sin is part of our lives. We kind of think bad thoughts and evil thoughts. We're talking to someone and sometimes thoughts go through our head. Liar. Snob. These are thoughts that go through our head, not necessarily come out our mouth. We think thoughts like that. Now, I'm sure the devil puts some of those thoughts there too. Then, of course, we break our promises. People have made you promises. They say, yep, I'll see you tonight. They never show. I spoke to a man on Saturday, yesterday morning. Did I get that right? No. Right after lunch, I spoke to a man on the phone. And the plan was, I was going to give him a call at 4.30 and we were going to meet up. He was actually going to look at my wife's car. It needs a little bit of a repair. 4.30 came and went. I forgot completely. I got busy and I forgot to call him. Now, you might say, well, that's just a slip up. You know, it's an accident. And maybe you're right, but the point is, we're fallible, aren't we? All of us. And we break promises. And I had to get in touch with the guy and say, I'm sorry, I got busy, I forgot. And I said, can we try it again this week? He said, sure. So, we are not as perfect as God. And this is the point. We need to forget about our own righteousness and start submitting ourselves to his righteousness. The Jews of Jesus' day wouldn't do that. And I believe it was their pride. They prided themselves in their uh, religious religiosity. And we have a lot of people like that today. So, people today still don't think that they need a Savior. That's why people really reject Jesus, because they don't think they need to be saved. Their opinion is, I think I'm a good person. They don't feel their need of his righteousness, because they're content, they're satisfied with their righteousness. So, when these people are told they are sinners, typically the answer in their hearts, if not with their lips, they might say, we are not such great sinners as others are. No, I'm not a sinner. See that murderer? He's a sinner. That adulterer, he or she is a sinner. But I haven't done those things. Therefore, I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. People in this state of mind stumble over Jesus Christ. And Simeon was sort of comparing Christ to a stumbling block over which people would fall. And I think that it's been that way for 2,000 years. 
People are stumbling all over Christ. They, they cannot receive Jesus because they do not desire his salvation. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, says that Christ was to this kind of person a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. And that's the bottom line. God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's God's command, but do they do it? No, they're disobedient. Now, take a look again in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again. Not just the fall, but the rising again of many in Israel. Now that's interesting. Many of those in Jesus' day who stumbled and fell over him at the first, afterwards, after his resurrection, then they believed. After he rose from the dead, they believed in him. I want you to see this. Keep your finger there in Luke and turn to the right to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. You know that it was the uh, angry crowd of religious zealous Jews that were pushing for Christ's crucifixion. Crucify him, crucify him, they said. No question about it. Many of that crowd would have been uh, rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, religious leaders, and so on. In Acts chapter 6 and verse number 7, look at it. It says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Now watch these next words. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. No doubt, some of them had stumbled over the thought of Christ and his righteousness. And then finally they submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And they got born again. The poor penitent sinner may have at first stumbled over Christ, but now rises by Christ. That is, he finds in him a rock on which to plant his feet. He finds in Christ one who can forgive his sins and save his soul. And now he can say like King David in Psalm 40 verse 2, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Verse 34, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Now we should observe that the words that follow, yea, a sword, you see those words in verse 35? Do you notice the beginning of verse 35 begins with a parenthesis? Kind of a round bracket. You see that? And it ends just kind of on the next line. Thy soul also. And then it has the closed parenthesis uh, bracket, if you will. 
And so these, these words are, are between parentheses. They, they add more understanding to the overall sentence. However, we could, you know, just for a moment, we could set these words to one side. I'm not saying they're, that they're not part of Scripture. They are. But let's set them to one side or let's jump over them and let's take another look at the sentence here. And so we pick up in the end of verse 34. And for a sign which shall be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now that's the, the, the full impact of the sentence that Simeon told to Mary. And in between that sentence, he added the words about you know the piercing of the, the sword. So if we were to jump over the, parent, the parenthetical section, we will see more of the, the dynamic, the impact of what Simeon was, was telling to, uh, to Mary. So he says once again that Jesus is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Had Christ not been spoken against? This is what I'm trying to say here. They spoke against him. Had they not spoken against him, many who despised him would have followed him. But because they spoke against them, him, the minds of many people were poisoned. There were people who could have followed Jesus, but their minds got poisoned by certain ones who spoke against Jesus. And these, these people who could have been saved. I think they applauded Jesus, his miracles, until the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes spoke up against him and accused him and started screaming, crucify him. I believe that true belief in God is still spoken against today. You let people know that you are a Christian, that you love God, there will be others that will speak against you. Your good testimony will get spoken against. And people must often give up the favor of the world if they would be faithful to Christ. What did I say earlier at the beginning? That God gives to us often blessings and burdens. We see it in the words of Simeon to Joseph and Mary. There was going to be joy, but there was going to be sorrow as well. And God allows that in our lives. None of us escape it. Every week, I feel joys and I feel sorrows. Huh. That's life on earth. That's why we need to look unto Jesus. Things are one day, boy, things are going great. And then the next day, something you never thought would break, breaks. Or some bad news comes to you from out of the blue. A, a preacher I know of 
gave an illustration that good news and bad news run on parallel tracks, like the train tracks, you know, the, the two metal train tracks on which the, the train rides. Good news and bad news travels on parallel tracks and usually arrives about the same time. So you'll get some good news, but then you'll get some bad news. You'll get some joys, but you'll get some sorrows. You'll get some blessings, but you'll get some burdens. And we see that, we see that very clearly in the life of the Lord Jesus. There were great blessings when Jesus came to town, but at the same time, he got spoken against. Minds and hearts that could have followed him were poisoned and turned against him and joined the, the crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him. This is all, all bad news. Is a person willing to lose an opportunity? Is a person willing to lose a good inheritance? Is a person willing to lose the favor of a rich customer or the respect of his friends? rather than disobey his Lord. As Christians, we're not immune from Satan's temptation. It's always best in the long run to stand faithful to Jesus Christ. And the old devil says, be quiet, sit down, shut up. Don't let your light shine. Others will mock you. You will lose opportunities at work. People will despise you. Relatives will turn and walk from you. But in the long run, you'll always do better. Always. Taking your stand for Jesus, even if things look a little dark one day, you'll always come out on top if you put God first. One day, they were praising Christ. The next day, they wanted to put the knife in His back. And we who follow the Lord Jesus will experience something similar. Simeon's words to Mary in particular. Yes, there's joys, but there's going to be some sorrows too. So don't be shaken when sorrows come, when burdens come. Hmm? Don't, be, don't be disturbed. Don't let the devil knock the feet right out from underneath you because some sorrows find you. What you need to do is take these sorrows, these burdens, these dark days, and give them to Jesus. Learn how to cast your cares on the Lord. And He will sustain you. What we're celebrating tonight is a dark day in earth's history. I think the worst crime ever, ever, ever was when sinful man crucified the Lord of glory. I don't know of anything worse than that. It's a dark day, and yet it was the key for our salvation, wasn't it? There's that contrast again. A terrible, terrible burden, but because of it, a wonderful, wonderful blessing. That's why we need to really put the Lord first and Keep living for Him. Now the table of the Lord gives us an opportunity to fellowship with Christ. 
the elements under the, the cloth here. There's broken bread and there's little cups of juice. It represents his broken body. It represents his shed blood. We all know this. This is not unfamiliar to us. But it's fresh and new every time we do it. We get an opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Now, every one of us here, we're still not perfect. We still struggle with certain areas. Some areas were victorious, strong as can be. Other areas were not as strong. And we'll stumble. And the Lord knows. And when he died for you and for me, he died for all of our weaknesses, our sins, our transgressions. Everything, everything, everything. But still, we need to keep short accounts with sin. Because sin is what closes the windows of heaven. Sin is what cuts off the blessings of Almighty God to us. Now this is the table of the Lord. It's not the table of Grace Baptist Church. You do not need to be a member in good standing of Grace Baptist Church in order to partake. But you do need to be born again. And you need to be living your life for the Lord. If you're not born again, you should not partake. They did that at the church at Corinth. Unsaved people were taking of the bread and taking of the juice. And what happened? God judged them for it. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. By partaking, what you're doing is you're telling God and others that at this moment, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. I've confessed all known sin. I've put Jesus first in my life. That's what you're saying to God. That's what you're saying to others. And for you to partake and you're not born again, well, that's just a lie then, isn't it? And what happened in the church at Corinth is what happens in any church when unsaved people partake. God judges them. And he'll do that in various ways. Then, of course, you have born-again people who are trying to live a lie. They're trying to live for the world and for the flesh. And on the outside, they're trying to give the impression they're living for Jesus. You know, it's best if Christians like that just let the trays pass by. Because when they partake, what are they saying? They're saying to God, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. They're saying to others around them, there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. And when really there is. God doesn't ask us to be perfect, perfect, perfect for the rest of our lives without sin. He's just asking us for the moment. Will you get right with me? Will you have a mini revival in your heart and put me first? That's what he's asking. And so that's why we need to take a moment and bow our heads and ask the Holy Spirit to show us, is there anything that shouldn't be there? So I invite you now, if you would kindly bow your head, close your eyes. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.